Okay. <coughs> Don't forget to, like to subscribe. subscribe. Yeah, all that stuff. Subscribe. Um, just hit the little box. Come on, Rick. Just subscribe. Don't do that. <laughs> Come on, Matt. Come on, Axel. Smash that like button. Oh, come on. Come on, just, just hit it. Subscribe. <laughs> you won't. No, you won't. Okay, let's get started. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Add to List, True Detective Season 3. My name is Bob, and as always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Axel and Alex. How are you guys? What's up? Good. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's the question. Answer your question. I wasn't answering your question. I'm sorry. Okay, let's move on. Great bit. Okay. <laughs> Let's. Do I need to do this again? No, no, we're no, I'm kidding. On today's episode, we'll discuss episode six, Hunters in the Dark. This episode is directed by Daniel Sackheim, who also directed episode three, and will direct the next episode, episode seven, and the finale, episode eight, so half the season in total. This episode also has writing credits, two of them, Nick Pizzolatto and Graham Gordy. Gordy does... Not have an extensive IMDb, but has written for some other TV shows, including Rectify, Quarry, and One Dollar. Have you guys heard of any of those shows? No. No. Me either. Maybe they're good. Maybe we should check them out uh, some uh, other time. Uh, yeah, I know one of them, the Gordy, Corey, Corey, Cor- Cody, what's it called? Yes. That one is a is a Vietnam movie, right? Quarry? Quarry? I don't know. I've never heard. I, I've, I've never seen any of these, but yeah. anyway... He also has a consulting producer credit on the final four episodes of this show, which obviously includes the one we're talking about today. So whatever. That's a little background on the writing and the directing. I, I was paying attention to the directing a little bit just because we've talked about this before. We can get into that. Uh, but before we do, before we get into the summary and uh, theories and all this kind of stuff, because there's a lot to get to, let's do things we missed and... Q's and A's. Now, oh, I'm excited for this. Okay, so this is why I want to, I want to preface it with this. I had a lot of stuff written down in this segment that I was preparing prior to watching the episode last night, and mm-hmm. I moved a lot of it into stuff we should talk about in theories and in reactions to the episode. So if there's anything missing from this list... We'll just wait. It, yeah, it's probably because of that. Um... So, because these are not that consequential, I'm going to go through them quick. One, Brett calls uh, Wayne, Wayne Sergeant. Do you, did you remember that? It was just a little callback because he's not a sergeant in the police force. He's a, he was a sergeant in the army. Oh. So he refers to him as, as, as sergeant and not detective, right? So I just thought that was an interesting thing that we didn't talk about. We talked about some memorable last stand scenes, or at least I mentioned two. One that I should have mentioned that was so obvious was... Um, Jeremy Saulnier directed Hold the Dark, which has a very similar shootout. Did you guys see that film? No. Oh, no. Okay. Mm, I'm going to have to spoil it. Well, I won't spoil it plot-wise, but it's essentially Native American guy living out on the outskirts of town, cops, semi-racist community, feels like an outsider, huge shootout, lots of people get dead. And it makes me wonder whether or not the one scene was sort of taken from the other show or this was taken, like, if if Saulnier kind of had that idea or maybe he kind of sort of took it. It, It's very coincidental. Oh, I've done this before. It it, it, it really, you guys should watch it. That that 
the movie's worth watching as well. It's on it's on Netflix. So <laughs> I check just it imagine out. this like Pizzolatto going up to this guy and being like, "Hey, I want you to direct one of these things." Oh, cool, that'd be dope. He's like, "But look, the only thing I want you to do is give me that shootout scene from that movie you made." Yeah, but doesn't he make the movie? I think the movie. I think it doesn't add up. No, I don't think the bit adds up time wise. Because oh, I think so he, sweet. I think he leaves the show to direct Hold the Dark. <laughs> then it's the other way around. So it's the other way around. <laughs> anyway, all right. I, I wanted to get to this quickly. Here we go. Wayne and Amelia. We we now see them getting into their relationship, and it seems like they deal with conflict with sex. So we've seen this in eighty. Well, we saw it in ninety first, and then we saw it in eighty. So I'm wondering if. With a few episodes left, this is. I wonder if other couples do that too. I don't think it ever happens. I think everyone just talks it out, right? Like a glass of wine or something. Totally, totally. All right, I wouldn't know. (laughs) These are some freaky people. Just guessing. Fixing problems with sex. I also forgot to pat myself on the back because I called it with the bad checks for uh, Dan. Yes, you did. Because I think that passing bad checks must be kind of an ins. I think it's kind of an inside joke among people who write about crime TV and this kind of stuff. I feel like it's a little bit of a Wilhelm scream where if it doesn't matter why he goes to jail and he's, they, you just, it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, what was it? Bad checks. (laughs) It feels that way to me. I I could probably. How many bad checks do you have to write? I don't even know how to write a bad check. I don't even know what that means. I didn't even do any kind of real research on it. I just was like, bad checks. And then I quickly Googled like, is this a thing like the Wilhelm scream? And I didn't get a really good response. So then I just gave up. So Apparently, if you write a, a few bad checks, you go to jail. But if you don't pay your, your bills for months and you have a, a, a drawer full of past due bills, you don't go to jail. You know not. what? If anybody out there is a media studies major or a film major that's doing their dissertation on something like this, they should contact you. Maybe. Where do they contact you at, Bob? Oh, they can contact the show at info at addtolistpodcast.com. And uh, do you have anything on Twitter? Oh, yeah. You can tweet the show. At 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 to list pod on Twitter, at to list pod. No, don't don't confuse people. At to list, at add to list. No spaces. Aroba add to list pod. Okay, we're de- you're derailing my segment. Here we go. The communion photos. They are in like the rectory or in the um the church's office. How'd you so figure that out? I just rewatched, and you could see in the cuts that they're in this room off to the side of the altar. And then when they cut cut again, they're they're in that room. It was okay. hard to tell when they're already in it, how where it is in relation to the rest of the church. But so it is where he gets dressed. It is in that office, yeah, where he the priest keeps his his uh, his robes Creepy. and stuff. But yeah, man. I think we went through the, you know we went through this. Already. Yeah, we did. We We're did. not going to go back. That's it. That's the end of that segment. That great, really efficient segment that should have taken taken two minutes, but probably took about five. So now let's get right into the summary of the episode. Um, oh, we finally got a strange one. This was a little bit stranger. Like, all the other ones have been pretty even-keeled. This is the first one where it got kind of a little trippy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, big reveals, good strangeness. You got a guy that looks like he came out for an audition to uh, What We Do in the Shadows. That was kind of dope. The great title, too, because one of the first scenes when we got introduced to the two detectives, what have they been doing? They've been shooting rats, right? In the dark. Mm-hmm. And everybody's been alluding to that whole thing. It's like the title is like, refers to detectives or whatever because they saw the little end piece at the end of the show mm-hmm. but i i personally think it's just like it's so dope that they bookended it like that right did you watch um the inside the episode i did it was just like on in the background and 
Okay. I, I, I never watched that like before we do this because I don't want to. Yeah, this has been the first time. There's not, there was nothing in it that was like really... Okay. Mm-hmm. Alex. I thought it was exhausting. Uh, I felt a little tired after the watching the whole episode. Uh, there was too much information. Um, I'm not complaining too much. I didn't know it's like this episode six. We got seven and eight going. Mm-hmm. A lot of this takes place in 1990 as opposed to other episodes where there's a little bit more balance. So I am going to go back to our format where we go through a timeline first and then go to another timeline and then go to another timeline. 1980, Wayne and Amelia in their post-coital embrace. Oh, can I say something about the cigarette here? Yeah. That was pretty cool. They, they've, the whole, I don't know if it was one shot, like the whole scene, but they were holding on to that cigarette. You could see it's burning and it's going through the conversation. This is a normal event or this is how cigarettes normally burn. Now, like, so it's kind of what, what I talk about sometimes the about the There was the nobody salad. eating here today, but there's the so, so smoking. The yeah. the it wasn't me was, eating a tomato and then the same I tomato totally, being on my plate later. I can totally believe that they were smoking a cigarette and they were sharing it and they were passing it back and forth. And then he, there was a lot of smoking in this episode, by the way. I don't know if you smoked. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely noticed that. And my 20 second take on it is that I love it. Yeah, I like it when shows have people smoke. People still fucking smoke, yeah. okay? Especially in the '90s. But let me ask you a question: Do you think that it's easier? Because this is this is a shout out to the to the continuity person that worked on this or yeah. team or whatever, right? Finally put on. Do you think that it's easier to control the shots of a cigarette burning than it is for people for eating fucking salad? Yeah, it's ridiculous. So I absolutely do because I think they can do a lot with CG, and you'll never know. Hmm. I think they can adjust the burn of that cigarette in in uh, in post production. You think it's just a, a, a blue. Easily. It's a green stick. Be amazing if it really was just, if it was actually an actual filter that is then has like a green, a little mini green, like <laughs> micro condom, like <laughs> two thirds of the way down, so that you could control the burn. That would be. We, that we couldn't get the Marlboro fun. rights, so we're gonna have to switch it to Camel. So yeah, just. Oh, you saw edit. that hard pack on the on the on the table. Chair I guess the hard pack might be one of those subtle nods to the time. Wait, or was hard packs were new? This is eighty. Yeah. Our packs were new, I guess. Wait, the, I the like pack you see it in the 90s, though. No, 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 2015. Sorry, he was old. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, let's let's not talk about that for 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> great smoking let's move scene. move on. Okay, yeah. great. That was the very first scene. Okay, as far as non-cigarette related, anything about this scene jumps out at you? I have something about it, but it's like long and went on. When Wayne tells Amelia that he, she, he, she doesn't have to do that, and she's like, do what? You don't have to worry that I'm judging you, because I'm not. What do you mean, judge? Because they jumped into having sex too soon? Yeah, maybe there's just yeah. a, a... It's episode six. They waited long enough. Well, for you, not for in terms of their timeline. Yeah, maybe not in terms of 1980. I'm a school teacher. And also, I, another fail, I think, maybe on my part, is I don't actually know right now, off the top of my head, exactly <laughs> how much time has passed in 1980 from the very start when they get the call to right now. Well, it's Something been three or four days since the shoot, the shooting, right? We see that at the whatever school board thing. I think it's been a couple months, maybe. No, they I'd say a sleep week together like the day after. The no, no, shooting. no. I mean, since they met, it's probably been a couple months. Okay, we'll see. I'll have to check that out. All right. Um, the one thing I did want to point out that you guys didn't uh, mention was that he talks explicitly about his memory and about how he's never bothered to remember stuff. So oh, this yeah. is where we hear again, I think it might be for the second time, but perhaps the first time where it's really clear, 
that despite having a memory issue, he cares not for actually remembering the past. And this is probably the reason or the way in which he deals with the things he's done in the war or anything that went on in his, his youth and his childhood that he wants to put behind him. But he, he clearly makes a choice to just not care about that and to continually move forward, which I think ties into why he doesn't appreciate the fact that Amelia is like writing the book in 1990 mm-hmm. because he's wants to, he's, he's working the case, but he wants to move forward and she continually wants to preserve. It's a matter of like preservation, mm-hmm. you know, which is something that we haven't really specifically hit on, but I, I'm beginning to think that that's part of it also. Yeah. He has a great line uh, there. One thing I learned in war, life happens now, then later is now. It's never behind you. I was like, damn, that's a really good fucking quote. Yeah, and then he's like, I'm not trying to avoid the question, but I really don't spend time remember, uh, remembering stuff. There's some good lines in this show. Yeah. This episode, I mean. All right, let's um, move on. There's very little else that happens in 1980, but we then see the scene we all knew that was going to happen, um, which is when Kent... Warren, Warren is the police chief, and then Alan Jones in the background come down into the war room and basically tell him, we're hanging this on Woodard, get on board. He protests, he doesn't want to do it. One other thing that I noticed is that they're, well, well they say it, I, I kind of, I wasted my time and went back and looked this up, but it's 11 dead, including, including Woodard. Uh, also out of that, we can see that Alan with his facial expressions, sympathizes with Wayne. When there's a scene, there's a shot where Alan's in the background and you can hear either Kent or Warren saying something about how they are going to pin it on on Woodard and he just kind of makes this face like that he's not on board with it. Do you guys notice that? No, I didn't see that. I don't think they focused on that, but um, if you saw it, I would believe it. 2015, Eliza's back interviewing Wayne and she brings up number of dead she brings up Tom being looked at more closely she brings up Dan being looked at more closely and there's a lot that Wayne like doesn't want to say and the big thing to me is that she alludes to the fact that Wayne may have done something and they Mm -hmm. share a look and he looks back at her like I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'll tell you what I thought about I I think that now he's in this mode where he's testing everybody like he's testing Roland, he's testing her, and he's capitalizing off of the fact that he he can you know he has a condition, so he's just trying to figure out if people are gonna lie to him from like correlating different pieces from everybody else. Also, Henry's in this, in the interview, and you guys were like, oh, maybe he's not there. He was there. He was in the interview. So this yeah. this whole thing is a little weird. How you're not supposed he... to talk to Eliza, but at the same time you're doing the interview. I don't know. I think those. No, no. I, th- I, th- I think what ended up happening was like they're they're working together now. I feel like we missed a scene somewhere. Okay, we'll continue the interviews, but no more talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Well, it kind of makes sense for that what's happened. happening now in, in that particular interview, and then later on when they leave the house and they they heart, have like a heart to heart, you know, and, and ah, I was it was right. I was right. Yeah. I was right. Yeah. Let's uh let's just leave, go there now. With the enemy. That's really uh, one of. The only the few other things that happened in right? twenty fifteen. Yeah. So that that whole scene where where the parallel between uh, Henry and Eliza and the fight that they have in, indoors before he leaves that that house is 
so similar. Like that's how they start bonding father and son because he's like, you know, Henry's like, oh, she's so exciting. And Wayne is like, yeah, they always are. <laughs> he's like, he knows that he's not talking about women in general. He's talking about women who are of that particular, like have that particular hobby or, oh, sorry, profession. Right. Um, but also Wayne doesn't show all his cards. Henry asks, how did you know? And then he's like, well, you know, I used to be a detective. Didn't explicitly say, I went to her hotel room and I saw two glasses of wine. It was a really good scene. That so was really I think Henry's also getting played a little bit. No, Everyone's getting played. I think they're working on it together. There was a there was a part where Wayne tells Henry about, like, uh, he goes, what's, what's the thing? He's like, did I, I just want to know one thing. Did I, did I teach you to withhold? Yeah, I didn't get that part. Withhold I, what, emotions? I, yeah, w- he was talking about it in terms of emotions. Yeah, like, don't, like, don't withhold emotions from your family. I think he sees in his past that he's going, like, as he's going through this, he's, he realizes Why not? He it, it worked out for Henry. They have a semi-successful family. Probably okay, kid. He's a, a police officer, so he's stepping out a little bit, whatever. So the first time I watched it, I thought that it was him kind it's of speaking It's not like he's a drug addict or he's, like, made a mess of his no, life. No, no, he's not a bad kid or anything, but I think that's why they, he, I felt like it was like they were talking in code. So maybe they're working together to figure things out. I don't know. That's me just being like fucking tinfoil hat. Yeah, I I didn't read that deeply into it. I just thought that it was an interesting heart to heart. And what struck me was really how nonchalant Wayne was about the idea of his son cheating on his wife, particularly when he asks if Henry is going to leave Heather. Like he asks this very calmly as if he's just like a therapist who is listening to a guy talk about how he's having an affair with it, with uh with a woman and after you he, work he homicide cases those things probably are trivial i mean possibly yeah but you think that there might be a special exception for your your, your kids you, i mean your only kid who you have a relationship with at this point also just knowing that you know, Wayne, I we don't see any evidence that Wayne has ever been this kind of guy either. He, I don't think he, I think if he had, we would have seen it already mm-hmm. by now. So I just thought that was a little bit, the tone was a bit odd. Was he's, that a forgiveness, right? Like, I think he's kind of turning a new leaf in this old age. He's becoming a little wiser, maybe like forgiving. It might more. be perspective. I don't, I, forgiving, sh- may, maybe, but in order to forgive someone, you need to feel like they've wronged you in some way. I think it's more understanding. I, yeah, I mean, there's definitely that. Okay, switch topics before we go. <laughs> okay, you don't <laughs> want to keep going on that? All right, let's get to 1990, which is where pretty much everything happens. Wayne and Roland go pretty hard at Tom. Oh, that was hard They to bring up the hole in Will's closet. They accuse Tom of being a peeping Tom, uh, <laughs> which is really <laughs> a little on the nose here. Hey. I'm not sure if any of them believe it, but they're trying to break him. They think he's hiding something. They didn't go- interview him that hard. They didn't really go hard on any kind of alibi in 1980, which they say. And so they're trying to get him to give something up, even if it's not exactly what they accuse him with in the room. So what do you all think of that? They had to do it because otherwise some uh, random people would have done it and it would have been worse for Tom. I think from a legal standpoint, I think they acted really hasty and there wasn't any evidence to me, what I got in that room was that people like this. The situation is mad hot for these people, right? Like they don't look good. They're retrying their case, so they're looking for any excuse. 
to just make this go away. Like if it's the dad, okay, that's juicy. Fine. We got it wrong, but at least now we did it again. Like we got it right. They're just acting too hasty. This is not really due process or anything. Who Kent? All those guys. And that, that dude, what is it? The, you, you called him the trooper state trooper. That guy Blevins is that was Blevins. Name? Yeah, he's Yo, the uh, he's he's in charge. He's he's the major. He's running pretty much the whole show. It seems like he is like Commissioner Gordon or something. Yeah, he's not the police chief. That guy Warren. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I'm sorry. Now we're back in 1990. Yeah, it's Attorney General uh, Kent, and the highest ranking police officer we see is I think is that his name Blevins, the Blevins, bald yeah. guy with the mustache who's always wearing his. Oh, I hate him. You know. To to uh, to uh, take something from the de- from uh, the departed, it's like you got any suits? <laughs> or you like coming to work looking like you're about to invade Poland? Yeah, yeah, really decorated and shit. Um, okay, Roland and uh, Wayne Superiors, who we just talked about, they also know about the backpack. Oh yeah. And what do you think? I, I mean, Roland must have told them, right? I thought he didn't. I thought he hasn't revealed it to them yet. Well, he must have because see, that's why I think I think that that's what Wayne was sort of getting at when they were talking at the truck stop, when they were doing the prints on the phone in the background. Right. Wayne says he didn't want them to know because they didn't want them to try to hang that on anyone yet. I think also he didn't want to say anything because he thinks it could have been someone that worked for the police. Right. So now if they did do that, if Kent and Blevins or whoever was working for Kent at the time back in 1980 did it, well, now they know that Wayne is on to something fishy. And now they have to react to this quickly Mm-hmm. which is why they are already saying, like, well, could he have worked with Woodard? Look for anything that suggests a connection between Woodard and Tom. Turns out, though, that was, like, a pretty good move because they ended up revealing something about Tom. But I thought it was kind of like, fuck, are they really going to go here? Like, I, I didn't really think that it mattered. Like, I guess we can move on to that part where the they actually go into his house. Yeah, let's do that. So they go into his house and they find that he has, like, that, that no, it's not paraphernalia, but it's church paraphernalia, I guess. But, like... Prayer gateway. Yeah, prayer gateway, and and like people have been complaining about that because they just don't like you know portrayals of gay people as negative. But like for me, it was just so sad because like in terms of the story, I was thinking that guy, this ignorant town is just gonna be like, yep, he's gay, so he must love boys, and that's not a thing. And I was just like, yeah, so fucking sad. He he's he's there. He's they're, they're just gonna do that. They're just gonna pin it on him. Now, do you feel like that was a bit of a cheap? trick no i think it, it kind of makes sense like the very first time we meet tom he's remember i mentioned why is he so like angry at um everything but then he he, he coils back whenever he's talking to lucy or something he's just a um repressed person yeah. i don't think he gets enough release so mm-hmm. maybe in that town that equals you know sexually repression okay so his... Wait, what do you mean by cheap though because like what it, I here here's what I mean about it being cheap, and I don't want to. I do want to walk ourselves to the final two scenes yeah, of yeah. the show so that we don't like because they're definitely the most explosive scenes. But if we think about what happens with Tom in this episode, nothing about his sexuality, at least so far, seems to matter to the plot or to the larger story. I, it matters in in terms of the way things unfold with him in this episode. And because we get a lot more Tom, we, we mentioned that last week that we, I, at least I did, that I wanted to see a little bit more of him in terms of his screen time. You got it. But all of this doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that he he 
is gay or almost certainly is and, and was hiding it, it does, to your point, Alex, fit into the way a person might feel not confident and feel like he's alone because he has a secret that he can't let anyone know because he'll be shamed for it and B, he has no outlet for um, and he's just been unhappy for like his entire life. Yeah, it's too so late. Fits into his personality, but the revelation of this to me doesn't matter a lot to the investigation. It just serves to get them going from place to place. It feels more like plot device than anything meaningful oh, about you, Tom. You felt that, that. So this is what I thought it was. It was kind of cheap in that it's too late in the game for character building. It's just way too late for this. Like he, we've already made our decision about him. Like that whole thing, we, we could see as like this doesn't make the plot go. But what I felt they were uh, another way that it could be construed as cheesy. But I felt I thought this is exactly why they did it. Is he's kind of one dimensional right now, right? He has he's the father of two kids, one who's dead and the other one who's missing, and he's just devastated. And he's trying to piece his life together and all this stuff, right? He's a troubled man. This whole thing is just like, it is. Are you trying to get me? even more invested in him because like i was thinking damn it they're gonna pin it on him and that's not right like that's not right because it's not evidence and it's just just for the same reason that they had him in that room and they they held him for 24 hours because now he's a suspect like that felt to so me so the like, justice system doesn't work yeah it was just like that was the the, the thing that that the show is trying to say to me and i'm like I, I, so <laughs> like, like it's too late in the game for character building okay you already did that it's just that's, I think, why people are reacting to so this. So we have some, some issues with it. So now, following up on this, Roland wants to start to clear Tom. He thinks he does think that some of this information um, is somehow, you know, Wayne wants to look at him harder because he's a guy who keeps secrets. Roland has this relationship with him, and I think he's feeling all kinds of things. He's he's feeling weird that he he he's friends with this guy. He's, you know, the first time, the first scene we see them... Um, the birth of their friendship is, you know, Roland's uh, got him sleeping on his sofa and all this kind of stuff. He finds religion. And I think Roland feels a little betrayed personally yeah. that, you know, finding, getting sober and finding religion, part of it is this this whole, now he's alone. He doesn't even have the, nor the heteronormative family thing to distract him from, you know, who he is. And now he's got this prey away, the gay literature and I think Roland is is really kind of taken aback by, by this revelation. Do you think he was more offended because he's kind of like a sponsor at that point, right? Like, do you think he's more offended of the fact that even though he's been going to meetings probably and talking in group, that he never he never told him this, he never gave him this explanation? Like, do you think he he views it that way as a betrayal that their, of their friendship rather? I think it could be any number of things. I think it could be that we've talked about whether we think Roland is 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 racist or is not that racist and is progressive for the time or just being a realist or all these kinds of things. He he may just be weirded out by the fact that like one of one of his only friends is gay and just not knowing that. Mm -hmm. In a time where that would just be something that might make you uncomfortable to be associated with someone who is now known to be gay. Because then that suspicion, it might look like you are too. Yeah, there were tinges of that, right? Like, basically, it's like, oh, he walked into a queer bar when he was talking to, when they were talking to the, the, the I guess, a machine shop that he was doing? He was talking to 
Um, Tom's old, former yeah. supervisor, yeah, who we only see once when he comes back to work. That it one sounds time. like that's exactly what happens, right? Because he he told an anecdote about Tom. He's like, "Oh yeah, we all kind of knew he was sort of guy." Yeah, well, he he says that he didn't get along very well with the other guys because they saw him come out of that bar, and then they kind of, yeah, high school style. They they just never let him live it down. Yeah, it sucks that it works that way. Half of the episode, I think Roland's face was angry. Really angry. Yo, he was pissed. Yeah, yeah he, he had his like pursed lips, super chunky eyebrows. Yeah, he he had like his angry. <laughs> I'm I'm wearing yeah hockey pucks, yeah, <laughs> putting extra muscle into that face. Yeah, he was definitely doing his full on like Roland has got his stern face on, yeah. where he talks a lot like this, brings his chin up, and brings down. it back down, speaks very deliberately. Okay, so and then they move on to Hoyt Foods. Okay, they yeah. talk to the other guy who I recognize. I can't remember that guy's name. The, the guy who has James the boat. Harris. No, 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 not Harris. James, which <laughs> you got wrong again. They talk to the guy who was processing the scene, finds it. Then they quickly go over to Hoyt, where now Harris James, we learn in 1981, he becomes head of security. Not long after this investigation, Chief, he was. Sir. Chief. What? He's Chief. CSO. What? He's, He's Chief, Chief Security. security Chief Security yeah, Officer. Dude. Yeah, how did he get there? Well, that's the big question. How did he get there? He's yeah. a lackey. Dun, what do you guys? What do you? What do you think? <laughs> Dude, you called it. He's an insider for Hoyt. Wait, who called it? You did. That's right. <laughs> Go ahead, right. pat yourself on the back. We'll 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 just sit over here for a minute. No, it was, uh, that was that was basically it. Like that's one of the things I liked about this this episode when they showed that I was like, oh man, they're just loading up. I you know it might still no. They didn't actually see his uh, pay steps, right? That's not something police can see. No, they didn't. But but they were just joking and it's like, yeah, but you got a good pay raise. It's just fishy, right? It's just mad fishy. Like how this random cop ended up he's, he wasn't a detective. He was just like a cop, right? Yeah, he was just uh state police working the highway. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he's mad shady. I mean eventually we're gonna know that he he's not up to anything good. Yeah. Also, what's that what's that thing about um, oh you have a nice body detective? Yeah, they were just sparring, they're just like making each other feel uncomfortable, you know? But, um, but why? Would would you um, ever think that if you were just with a stranger, basically, because mm-hmm. they're more or less are strangers, that the thing you would do is to, you like, know, say it in those exact words? Well, you know why. Like, those two, right, Roland and Wayne, know that he was at the scene. He's one of the possible people who could have planted things in the house. They might be treating him with a little bit of, like, a cold shoulder because he's the most likely because now he has this cushy job is Harris out of nowhere? And maybe he was seeing Tom at the queer thing? I don't know. But Harris, really this guy Harris James makes a statement that... That's just I, the I, I don't, un, I don't. Yeah, the comment is weird. It, it, it's not something you would just say. You wouldn't just say 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 something t- like... Unless you're Wasn't like that. A couple of our about friends. donuts? Like, I don't eat donuts? I can tell. Yeah, and then he goes, I can tell to Wayne. And he says, you've got a nice body. Would you? And, do you think... I read that as... He's making fun of him because he used to have this desk job. No, so he basically went back to being a that cop sounded rather than a detective. Like Borderline picking pickup. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Absolutely. I just didn't understand why. You miss a lot of cues, Axel. Yeah, I do miss a lot of cues. Wow, damn! I'd be more successful if I did. Amelia then goes and speaks with some runaways at, I, I guess, just a home for for young women who are homeless. Just yeah. a home for runaways. She speaks to the nun in charge, shows the picture of uh, Mary July, and then the picture of young Julie. 
And then she goes and speaks with another girl who... How what do you I, get there? What do you mean? How do you get there from... Uh, yeah, I've never... I don't particularly know who this lady is, but yeah, come and talk to uh, all these homeless women. And then next scene, I'm walk, she's in a room with presumably her roommate for a minute. Yeah, I mean... I thought that was really weird, too. In my notes, I was like, how do they... She passed it around? Kids, the, the, the Wayne, and, Wayne and Roland were there before, and they talked to people. That's how they found the kid with the with the the, the chain. Did you remember when they Sorry. were interrogating him? The way they found out about Mary July. Well, we don't know that they went Who knows? to that exact place. These were all... Oh, so you're thinking... I, I thought that was the same exact place. No, the... They were cut scenes. I think the one of the in one of the cut scenes, they're at a co-ed place. Oh. This is a home... This is a, a for home just for women. women. What I took out of this was confirmation that the, the young girl that Amelia is talking to recognizes her. She says, without Amelia saying it, she called herself Mary Julie or Mary July because mm. of summer. She mentions the pink room. And the other thing I just can't, as I'm, we're going through this, is that having seen the episode, none of this seems all that mysterious anymore because we're just walking ourselves to these reveals at the end. Yeah. Um, but what did you all think about this at the time when you were, you were watching it? So I got two things on that. One. Another one of the great lines, I think, in this show, right? That keeps is like, is uh, when that when Shelley goes, I don't think she knew who she was. Like she was always pretending. Mm-hmm. Like, I I think that there's a little bit of brainwashing there, right? Don't you think? Yeah, perhaps. Because yeah. If maybe she was a pink abducted, room would do that to you. You think they just that she's actually escaped from the pink room? How do you escape? It looked like it was, it was the vault. I think they took her and they made this whole pretend world for her. And she didn't know what was true and what was not. And then she made her way out of there and she's run away. That's basically like where we're at right now in 1990. Mm, possible. Yeah. yeah. I think the, well, we, you just kind of spoiled the, the, the end though. Did I? Oh, <laughs> fuck. Okay. Well, we're, everybody, everybody knows this. Here's the, the second thing about the, that scene though. There's never a useless cut in this show. Right, even the little bit of focus, like the little things that we're we're capturing after the fact, there's never anything that's put in there not deliberately. And right, right then, when they cut while in the middle of the conversation, of like them just giving us exposition, they cut to the window, and what's what's on the on the side of the truck? Yeah, what was it? It was like some kind of uh, landscape. Ar- yeah, it's like a landscape company, and they're called Ardoin. What's Ardoin? Ardoin is the last name of the kid that they interview. He's the guy that he's the little boy that waves to Julie when they're on the bikes, oh, okay. and they interview him, and then they he gives them a scoop on the the ghosts, the people in the in the back in the picture, like the trick or treating ghosts. Okay, yeah, he does mention that there are some adults wearing ghosts. Okay, so you're saying that his last name is the name that is on the truck where the guy is whatever he's doing, raking leaves or something. Yeah, yeah, like the that. landscaper. Oh, man. Yeah, we gotta keep an eye on that. Oh, I didn't notice that. Definitely gonna go back and but it look was, at that. Like you said, it wasn't a wasted scene or it wasn't a wasted shot. It wasn't. It's totally deliberate. It I was one hundred percent with you. Be, I didn't notice the name, but I was. I knew exactly what you were getting at with cutting away, and you just see this guy, and I'm like, okay, it's a home for women, and now there's just this one guy, right? There's the one guy who manages the property, who cuts the grass, who mows the like, who who breaks, breaks up the leaves. Yeah. That's Alex's kind of job. <laughs> another, just go in there. Another thing about this gross. scene is uh, another nice cigarette scene. Yeah, they kept consistency. Everyone's always smoking. I might have to start smoking again. 
I actually wanted a cigarette after watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. I don't even smoke. Yeah, Yo, that was that good. We cut back to Wayne and Roland who meet up with Dan. Uh, Dan is played yeah. by a guy named Michael, and it's hard last name to pronounce. Uh, Graziadi, G R A Z I A D E I. And I'm only mentioning the actor because he's given some kind of performance here as Jack Sparrow. Just a totally <laughs> coked out, yeah. tweaked out, crazy person. You just can. just eyes wide open. Like the direction must have been like never stop moving. And we want to be able to see the whites of your eyes all the way around. Yeah, your, okay? man, your man looked like he auditioned for, uh, for that show coming out. Um, what we do in the shadows. You're the only one who really cares about that right now. <laughs> you wouldn't stop talking about it. Yeah, it was looking at that. Watch it. Watch that movie when it's a good movie. But also, like all their costumes, that guy looked like he was he just came straight out of that. Well, <laughs> okay. Again, so he wants seven thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a little won- ridiculous for that time, for any time, for just like a tidbit of information. But at that point, did you who, think that he? Whoever's who? Who? What kind of informant gets any kind of money? You get a. Oh, you do. No, you do. get you get like one. Uh, get out of jail free card. That's it. Well, you, you mean like in these shows? I've never seen a lieutenant pull out seven thousand dollars to give it to a CI. It's done all the time, but like in real life, like you're saying in, in the show or in or this in type TV, of show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, see, to me, because it's like, how are they gonna make sure that it's like that they paid good money for really good intel? There's no way to confirm that until he tells them that. Like that's comp. No, you just bust them for something, and then you keep them in jail until they. Yeah, talk. that's that's. That's a trope. That's the cheaper yeah. way. That is true. However, Dan, in all of his rantings and ravings, makes it pretty clear that he believes he knows that that's not an option. Because of Because time. the clock is ticking. If what he's saying is true, and again, in discussing it, it's, it would almost be more useful if we watched it live and discussed these scenes as they happen. These are a, because a yeah. lot of these things get tied off in the end. Yeah. So in the moment, you're wondering... Is he full of shit? Does any of this information matter? Is he just trying to uh, manipulate the cops? How much could he know by just seeing what's on the news? Is he that good at sort of deducing this stuff from just following what's made available to the public? But he's right. Who wrote this? He, uh, the, the Graham Gordy guy? Well, Graham I don't Pizzolatto. know which scenes he wrote. He co-wrote it with Nick mm-hmm. Pizzolatto. It's, it's, it's not clear to me whether or not he... Took the story and wrote the actual the dialogue. Whoever did this, though, like, I want to let them know that they're ruining this podcast because it's making it really difficult to keep talking about it. <laughs> well, the, so maybe, in a weird, in a weird way, th- this episode got us what we wanted as a viewer, but oh, it yeah. does make it a little more difficult to discuss. Could could you even detain him for withholding uh, evidence from the initial investigation? Apparently, he didn't say everything. Oh, kind of like what's happening. In this country right now, <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things he says is that I think Lucy, Lu- Lucy came and lived with them. Mm-hmm. He they more share. or less says that they, they, they use the word milestones, but they have a sexual history, yeah. which makes you wonder whether or not those kids are his, or at the very least, Julie might be his, because at the funeral, when they're in the home and the, the detectives are talking to uh, Tom's parents, says that he was working offshore and... They think that might have been when Julie was conceived. A new contender has entered. So, yeah, a new possible father has entered the game. So he pretty much spells out that Hoyt There's some has, has paid Lucy money to for the daughter. Yeah, that's basically what he was doing. Yeah, doing. he implies at this moment in the scene that this is bigger than you guys realize. 
There's powerful people, more powerful than you involved. They have a head start on Julie. And you're not going to be able to just do your police stuff, which is get me on something, hold me for 72 hours, because you're just going to be wasting your time. If you want this information, you need to cough up the money and I'll give it to you. But it's going to like how long you think you can you can you know, wear me down before I tell you. It might be too late by then. You might be figuring out what I know on the news or something, or you'll never figure it out because yeah. she'll just disappear again. So he's, despite being a, whatever he's on, coke or meth or whatever, meth is, is mentioned later, he's, I'm watching this, I'm going, he's kind of right. They need to figure out what he knows and rule it out or it's going to be legit and it's going to be useful. Um also, talk, a cigarette, a another cigarette scene. Oh, yeah, but the, in the sausage? Yeah. <laughs> uh, too bad. I feel like putting a cigarette out in food is one of those things that only kind of crazy characters do. Also, not a thing that happens anymore. Because you can't smoke in this Yeah, I thought that was like, oh, how did, I've never, oh, man, people well, used yeah. to do that. It's Arkansas in 1990. Yeah. It's probably in the smoking section. <laughs> the whole oh, diner is a smoking section. Yeah, sure. I'm just saying, you know, as if that even matters, right? Smoking section, I remember. Yeah, and then just to close that scene out, when the detectives ask, like, if it's about the kids, he kind of looks at them as if they're fucking stupid, and it's like, it's all about the kids. No shit, Sherlock. Like, you guys must suck at this if you haven't figured out that it's about the kids. Well, they were, they were. I think that was kind of like for the audience, right? Like, at that moment, they're still considering Tom Purcell as a, a person of interest. Now he's a suspect. And now they have this guy. They want to hear whether or not he'll say the magic words to us. Yeah. This is where Roland wants to um, basically rule out Tom. Because that, cause Dan winds up saying that he, you know, you think I'm scared of that chicken shit? Like, that's, I'm not worried about him. You know, there's other things at play. Yeah, people much, uh, much yeah. more powerful. Tom, Tom is not who I'm concerned about. Um, okay, I've written down, Tom hears things he shouldn't. Oh, yeah, this is when they let him out. And he goes upstairs to yell at Roland. Peeping Tom. Again, this is another... Yeah, Peeping Tom is walking around the police station. How's the Peeping Tommy? Um, yeah, how do you just walk walk in into like the war room of a police office? I guess because he's done it once before already. As the viewer, you're like, okay, clearly they know who he is and they're sympathetic. They will let him kind of move around the office, yeah. the halls. It's a small town, too. Like, I'd, I'd imagine, like, he left the jail, walked across the street or to the side, came back in through the front door and was like, I'm here to see my friend Roland West, please. <laughs> He's probably yeah, done yeah, it several times. Just go yeah. upstairs. I don't think so. He just goes, I think he just goes, yeah, he goes right upstairs. And then he's this all is, disheveled and he's... Yeah, he's all a mess. You can see he's ready to just give Roland a mouthful and he's all ready to... He's got his, taking a deep breath and then he's not there. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah, Alex, basically the closure you want is not going to make an interesting scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah, me either. Let's move on. <laughs> but again, this is like a cheap scene to me. It's like, oh, he just happens to overhear them talking about Lucy and and uh, Dan. Right. Like he, his timing is so impeccable that the other detectives yeah. just got off the phone and are loudly moaning about what they have to do. Oh, they want us to go pull records from no two way. years ago from Lucy. <laughs> from who? Oh, and they want us yeah, to go Lucy Purcell. They got this information from Dan. That guy, you can't trust that guy or whatever. And he's just right there. There's no other noise in the hallway. There's nothing. He hears this perfectly. 
there's no there isn't anyone walking around like the because it's the total opposite of a stereotypical yeah. police station where every single person is like flipping through paper sitting on desks there's some guy who's like trying to get out of his handcuffs it's like a madhouse it's almost like as if as soon as he left those two just go is he still there can you go check if he's still there okay we're done <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> also it's like it's kind of a sensitive case the door's half open you mentioned this, doors this being happened open. once already it's, like, it's a little annoying that you just wouldn't close the door i don't know to have the door even half open is weird. You're like, door open, door closed. To it have just, it open just enough where you can kind of lean your shoulder in and nah, I guess it's another there. example of a plot device just to get the... It is. Uh, I, yeah, I, exactly. Again, that's that's why as much as I like this episode, it all it, some of these at things felt a little a little cheap. A I want to do cheap. a super cut of uh, Scoot McNary and actually do like Scooty McNair, like little things like that that happen to him. <laughs> We're just like it just unfortunate or fortunate. Fortunate, unfortunate. To yeah, with like a sad trombone sound. All yeah, these wah, terrible wah. things happening to him. Okay, now we get to Roland and Wayne getting into an argument in the car about Wayne wants to continue the investigation, wants to go hard. He's feels like they have a bunch of leads. Roland's like driving him home, and he doesn't really want to. He doesn't really want to do that. And then they kind of allude to this whole, well, you know, I work like this. That's why I'm here, and you do what you do, and that's why you're. Uh, why I'm where what? you are, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Listen, man, you press too hard. I also want to get to the bottom of this, but you're just going to find wind up right back where you were in 81 if you don't tread a little bit more softly. That's what I got out of it. I don't know if you guys got something different out of that. I just I, thought Roland was tired and he wanted to go home. I think so, too. Ultimately, I think that's nothing, right? I Inside of me, I feel like maybe they could still use that thread to make the case that maybe now that's the deterioration of Wayne's trust in Roland. And maybe now he's starting to think Roland is part of like an interference plan. Or it's just more plot device to get him to yeah. walk around and get to the Purcell house, yeah. which is where we there are now. <laughs> so he gets to the Purcell house, the abandoned Purcell house in the neighborhood that seems to be completely a ghost town. Well, actually the whole town kind of died. He mentions that this yeah. town died. So they're kind of driving through that town. There's not much left. Gets into the house, has that realization where all those notes we kept seeing, what what were they for? And he tears off a piece of paper and he puts it through the hole. And that's when we as viewers, because I never thought about this. If anyone else on the on the internet or anyone else thought that it wasn't for the peeping, um, but the clues were there. I guess I don't. I guess the the, the opportunity was certainly the paper was there, the hole was there. It was. How does he come to that conclusion? Like when I saw that scene, it was just kind of like he went directly. He he sneaked yeah. around, sorta. No explanation. And went straight to the thing, and then took out a piece of paper and did that. Yeah. It's like he had the idea out of nowhere. How? Well, what if this is just not for what we think? What's another thing that, you know, if he went through the process in his mind and went. What we think we think we think it's perverse. We think it's a peeping tom thing. But let's say it's not. Let's say that there are just two siblings that have a hole between each of their things. Like, what would they use it for? You know. Hmm. So if you can get to that point, if you can reset your mind into not believing that it's because someone was spying and that you're trying to figure out who it was, if you just go, what purpose does this hole serve? If the only two people involved are the people who, yeah. who who reside in each of the respective rooms. I see what you're saying. It basically, like, they only can show you that scene because they've already ruled out Tom, in a way. Like, they got a little bit of intel that said 
Tom isn't the one that did this. So if Tom didn't do it, then he, this poll was not done for peeping Tom's situation. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, peeping Tom, it's peeping very, Dan, very loose. peeping Lucy, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Nobody's peeping. Prior to that, by the way, was just the scene where Tom does confront Dan at the motel. Oh. And we get Dan calling him Tommy Purses. Okay. Mm-hmm. Before you get to Tommy Purses. Okay. Because obviously he's calling like derogatory. Yeah, it seems thing. seems like he's saying that because he always knew that Tom was was not. Yeah, that he 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 was he was gay or that yeah. he just wasn't. At the very least, he suggests he's not. He wasn't like a real strong man. Yeah, he, he says true. that. Okay, talk about things that piss me off in movies. It's trigger discipline. This guy comes in with a gun, finger right on the trigger, really close to this guy's head, and the whole time like. He's gonna shoot his brains out by accident. This guy's just gonna tap his elbow and it's just gonna be lights out. And the whole time, just like, oh, so anxious with the trigger. Do you think they do that on purpose? No, I think that it's just not having a lot of gun training from the actor. Oof. Also, I, can you, who, who's next door? How can you not listen to all the turmoil happening yeah. in If the, you can make meth in that place, I don't think anybody's calling the cops on you. Me, they were making or shooting? I, I don't think any you can of make it, it there. Any of no, it. you need like a lab and... <laughs> you know the recipe? <laughs> I watched Bad... What is it? Breaking Bad. Yeah, there, there was a little bit of the... Um, you need at least uh, RC. What are RV. <laughs> There's some suspension of disbelief there. I think we've seen shady stuff happen in motels a lot where if you establish that this is a motel where Dan would come to, to shoot up meth and probably just party hard that... No, it's a lot would have to maybe happen. that Matt. okay that just that level of noise that level of just two people fighting because he never fires the gun there was never a gunshot there should have been because yeah. he's got his finger wrapped around the trigger Damn. I saw another thing I was watching something and it was the same oh I was watching LA Confidential and there's just another scene with shotguns and no one has their finger outside the trigger guard they their finger is just wrapped around the trigger and. Then I started to remember scenes where they show how easy it is for a gun to go off, if especially if the hammer's cocked. Mm-hmm. So, like in Pulp Fiction, when he accidentally, when uh, Travolta accidentally shoots um, the kid in the back seat, bang, blows him away. Boondock Saints, when the guy slams his hands on the table and it just kills the cat because the gun is on the coffee table, it's on the kitchen table, and I guess the hammer's cocked and just enough he slams mm-hmm. his hands. Bang, all of a sudden, there's just red jelly all over the wall. So I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> when it's convenient. Some some filmmakers will sort of joke about that, and others, you just chalk it up to, it's not really about trigger discipline in the scene, but I can see where you're coming from. How did that scene end? So Dan's all beat up on the floor. It ends with Dan oh, he gives agreeing him the name. To, to give him the name. Yeah. Oh, no, it, it ends with... Him saying, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, or, or whatever. Right. And once Tom has the upper hand, he says, all right, you motherfucker or something, give me a reason not to murder you. Then we cut away to what he winds up doing. He's in the car. He's driving past the Hoyt Mansion. It's a huge fucking place. Drunkenly, he's got a cigarette in his mouth. He's scaling the fence, cracking the window. He breaks himself inside. We see a guy watching him on security cam. Now, I was like, is this going to be fucking Harris James? Yeah. Is he the guy that's manning the security camera? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I guess it has to be, because otherwise it would just have to be some schlub. But it's like, okay, so he works this Hoyt job all day, and then he's manning this... The mansion as well? The mansion as well. Unless he knows something, but... 
Yeah, it was really That's weird. That's a little strange. Unless he was watching from the factory and then he drove all the way down there. It's just a classic, don't go into the dungeon, don't go into the room, you can't exit. I'm like, don't go into that <laughs> vault. It almost seems like it was staged to get him there. Yeah. Oh, man. What you, if it... What you if start to think Dan actually phoned someone and said, I told him. Yeah, almost. Or, or gave him, like, the place, but that's going to be the intel for the cops. But it's not a safe place to go. It's maybe even a setup. He gets <laughs> into the pink room. He's like, what the fuck? The camera is on his face, so we're looking directly at Tom's face. Yeah. He's like, oh, my God. Julie? And then out from the shadows comes Harris James, presumably to knock him out. What is do something McNeary looking at? That's that's a good question. That's the thing. What is he looking at? So pictures? You think? Yeah, like Polaroids. You yeah, know, I was like just gonna ask you. Polaroids. What's the representation? You think it's like a like Polaroids or pictures? Or it's a photo of her as a teenager, somewhere between the age that she's on the security camera and when she disappears. Mm-hmm. And he he's, doesn't quite he's out her. loud saying it because he's trying to figure out if that's actually her. You know, what I think it is. What? I I would love it if what they did was a really huge painting of that painting with the uh, Hoyt's daughter and granddaughter sitting on a lap, mm. they did that with Julie. I thought you were going to say a horse. I was like, this is going to be another terrible <laughs> Yo, bit. My, my centaur, my centaur uh, fantasies. No, no, get out of here. Like that. It's actually that like, you know, that big painting. Yeah. It's so, I, I, I find it so creepy. I would love it if they just like opened up next, next episode with, his perspective, like camera behind his head, and it just r- moves up over his head, and then you just see that painting recreated with young Julie, with uh, Hoyt's daughter. Would All right, be, I'm just gonna say this, but pink rooms are the creepiest things. Yeah, man. But black is better than pink. Would you ever, if you had a daughter, let her completely white or off white, anything but pink. So anything light blue and anything that that's too contrast aggressive is not good. Okay, it just okay, hurts. Okay. I was like, what if it's just like a black room? <laughs> that's much worse. It's so creepy. Uh, I mean, it's not creepier than pink. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I well, would do like a black wall. It absolutely elicits this feeling of being in a dollhouse, being in a room in a dollhouse, mm-hmm. right? Now I don't know if parents paint their daughter's rooms pink i i think that just from a color like yeah it's just okay like lime green all green also gross oh, like pink no. all, like just it's too harsh to look at yeah. but it is creepy particularly when this is the context because you're when it's really yeah and it's also in such probably it's so op it's supposed to be like this oh you're a young girl you it's there's an innocence but all it's Either all these terrible things are happening to her in this room, or they're keeping her there, and that's like her really weird safe space when all this other terrible stuff happens to her in other places of the house. I don't understand yeah. what Hoyt's end game is here. How can you keep someone forever? Especially when you're older than the person you're keeping. I, we're going to learn that someone is a real psycho, right? Because yeah. they still want them. I, I, they still want Julie, which is... That's happened though, right? Like it's happened before. Remember that happened in like uh, I think in Ohio somewhere, where a guy they keep kept their like, victims. Yeah, yeah, yeah kept yeah. his victim. It was like a really big thing. Like uh, people living next door, and they were like, "Oh, we never knew that shit." Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. There's a scene in uh, Gone Baby Gone where they raid this crack house, and there's a kid whose bedroom is totally pristine. 
right? The whole house is an absolute train wreck. It looks like a crack den. But the kid's room is just spotless. And the explanation that, oh, God, I can't remember any actor's name right now, um, Ed Harris gives is that, you know, this was the only place the kid felt safe was, like, his bedroom, you Mm -hmm. know, where everything else was horrible. So it was almost like the kid's goal was to, this is how you retreat into yourself, into your into your space. Now, there's it doesn't totally fit because she's been abducted. This isn't her room. But it may have been done up in a way to create that environment for yeah. her. That's a, that's a nice thing. I'm going to watch out for that then. Like the idea that either this is a part of a very twisted kind of like environment where, like you said, bad things happen outside in other rooms. But when she comes back, it's this pretty, it's almost like, that's so creepy. Uh, or if it's how you said it, it's a, a safe space for her. She might not even be allowed to go anywhere else. So that's all she knows. Yeah. We also don't really know for sure whether there's actually any sexual abuse yet. I, I immediately, I obviously think that there is, yeah. but it, it really could just be this full on level of abduction. I didn't think about where it. Where the way. mom, the, the Hoyt's granddaughter or mm-hmm. whomever, is just so crazy that she's like, I have a daughter now, but. The minute the girl gets out, she's going to try to run away, so they just lock her in this room. Well, they might as well, right? Because if they if they can get all Howard Hughes on her, on her as well. I mean, th- that is that is a safe door. Yeah. That's yeah. not a door to a room. That is like a vault door. You know, the, the his granddaughter, Hoyt's granddaughter, was like killed or something, or she died suddenly. I don't remember exactly what it was. The daughter is the child that the theory suggests that Julie is replacing, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. So that that like might be another reason they ab- they abducted her and said like only we can keep her safe and they never let her out until she runs away. Okay, but here's mm-hmm. the other thing I just realized because I'm consulting these notes I have. Yeah, do it. Julie has drawings of a pink room in her bedroom at yeah. her actual house. She's been there before. Hmm. Yeah, which is also really weird. Right. Well, yeah. they've been meeting in the in the forest. Maybe from the forest they go to yeah. the. It doesn't surprise me. I I, I, I guess maybe there's a different. Maybe the room is pink because you know, it's probably the same. Exact because room. that's what Julie wanted when mm. they were creating something that felt more like, oh, you just come here and play, escape your shitty life at home. Mm-hmm. But then when this abduction happens, or when this accident ha- happens, because we still don't necessarily know that Will was murdered. I think we, at least I believe it was an accident Yeah, I do that t- happens when they're trying to just abduct them both or whatever. Listen, the accident might have never happened in the woods. Like, it could be that whoever was playing with them in the pink room and pretending and LARPing or whatever was... No, there's a, there's a rock well, there's with the hair. there's the rock with his blood on it and his well, hair on it. Yeah, that's what well, happened. we don't know that. No. Well, I guess we, we don't know because they didn't, like, say... Yeah. We tested the blood and it's Will's. Yeah, it could just be another misdirect. And the, and the thing about it is, like, the, the accident could have happened in the, the mansion. Coit mansion, yeah, rather than the woods. And in the woods, that's why she's like, we left him resting. Because they basically went over there. Julie might have even participated in the laying of her brother down and faking evidence. Mm, no. Yeah, but that, that still suggests that he died in the woods. No, no, he didn't die in the woods. He was essentially like buried in the woods, but it made to look like a crime scene. I don't know. That's real thin. I think he died in the woods. I just think it's a question of whether or not it was an accident that was covered up or whether it was murder. Yeah. This is when my, my theory starts to change. I think that maybe the accident occurred 
in the mansion. It was, okay, uh, well, let's weird, do this whatever. final scene. Yep. It's the last scene of 2015. Roland is over at Wayne's house. And to me, I thought this was more interesting than the pink room scene. That that's The pink room scene has a lot of questions, but this to me gets at the nature of their current relationship now that they're diving back into what happened. So important things that are discussed, Wayne tells Roland that he believes the hole was for passing notes. We see him do this in 90, and then he, he, he says it to Roland when they're at Wayne's. Then he goes to take a piss. Roland starts looking at the book. He has a look on his face of pity, I think. He doesn't look like he's trying to find stuff while he's in the bathroom because he doesn't seem to be like concerned that Wayne saw what he was doing when he was alone in the office. But Wayne comes in and acts like he doesn't know why Roland is there. Yeah, right. So what do you guys think? I, that's I thought a little bit like Wayne is playing him to see whether or not he'll lie to him. Possible. He does. Possible. And then he's, he gets all paranoid. Hey, do you see a, a black car out there idling down the street? He looks out, but we don't see if there's anything outside. Right. This was the scene that made me upset because I came up with that theory last week out of nowhere. Wayne could be slow playing Roland, Roland yeah. a little bit. He has this memory issue and he can use it to lower Roland's defenses to get him to just reveal something that he's been hiding or to see if he's hiding anything at all. Now, I thought that it was... It would have been a really convincing acting job because I, I, without having thought about that possible theory, I just would have looked at this like, he just looks the same as when he really is forgetting, you know? Yeah. I think we all agree that he's playing Roland. Really? So now you actually believe that. That's, you're not even, you're, that's where you think this I is I think this it would going. be a waste of um, exposure if it weren't. Okay. What might be more of a question is whether or not Roland is really hiding something because he doesn't seem to look at all like he's trying to uncover anything. He still has this look like he's along for the ride. He still looks to me like he's taking pity on Wayne a little bit and well, that he's kind of just humoring him. Something really drastic happened to Roland between 90 and 2015. Like his lifestyle changed. He's all secluded. Something happened and we don't know what it is. So... I do really. He, he I, is. I, he's hiding something. I do want to know if there's if he saw a car. You know, there's. It's very, obviously intentional that we don't. Every time Wayne's looked out, we've seen what he's seen. And Didn't show us this time. And we never saw anyone else confirm it. We we only saw him see it, and it's usually in a scene where he's hallucinating as well. So there's a question about whether or not that car is really there. Um, seems to me in all those scenes that it was there because the hallucinations are of the past and it's they have a, a feel to them. It's a lot to hallucinate a car with the lights on, like a modern mm -hmm. sedan, you know? Like you think it would be something from his past, like an older car, like a 90s model car or something. But Yeah, he never hallucinates. That, that was a thing where I thought initially, why didn't he come in there and think if he was really uh, losing his memory? And just had one of those like burnt like burnout moments, I guess, uh, where he comes in and he sees Roland. And I'm like, why didn't he do that? And I thought, well, maybe he has like a rule where he realizes if you look old, then I'm not dreaming you. I'm not hallucinating. Because Roland looked older. It looked like, oh, yeah, you're my age. So I think that's like kind of his like little, uh, what's the, the, the token in? Um, Inception. Inception? Mm. Yeah, the, the uh, totem. 
totem. There you go. That's right. So what was the third part? Like, I remember he walks out, takes a leak, comes back, asks if he sees anything outside. And then there was another question he asked Roland. I think what happens is he comes back from the bathroom and he says, he has this look on his face and he goes, Roland, how you doing? Right. You know, he, it's, oh, it's 2015. He, he, he reacts as if he's seeing him for the, like he sees him yeah, in the grocery store him. or right. something. Like yeah. Roland appeared behind him in the cereal aisle. But you're in my house. <laughs> It's weird. Yeah, it is weird because if his memory was, if, if he wasn't acting, you'd think he might have said, what are you doing here? And then you'd also think if maybe Roland had nothing to hide and was totally there just because he's on board and he wants to help, or at the very minimum, like I said, he's just humoring him, he would have been like, you asked me to come over, don't you remember? Now, Roland could also be just not wanting to embarrass Wayne. Right by letting him figure it out on his own and sort of pretending like he doesn't realize that Wayne's having uh, an episode. I think that's how it normally happens. Yeah, but all of this raises to me a lot of questions. It makes th- what's happening in 2015 more interesting because yeah, at this point, I, I don't. I think it's definitely been the least interesting. It's just been a lot of information that we've been getting about how things are perceived, yeah. but you know, we don't ever really see anything go down. We're starting to see them interact and we're we're... I, I thought this was a crackpot theory, and I hated it because I last episode was so much about friendship, and this is not something that like Rust and Marty had in season one. They were partners, they had a good working relationship, but they were never really friends. What we got from last episode was that these two, for as long or as little as they worked together, and for whatever disagreements they had, they really were friends. They weren't just partners, and this whole possibility that you know, Wayne thinks that Roland's hiding something from him and he's trying to slow play him. And what would be worse is if Roland wasn't. And then Wayne realizes that, like, this is what you did to me back yeah, exactly. in 90. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You're doing it again. You can't remember and you think that I'm hiding something from you and that's why I'm fucking pissed at you. I'm like, you did it and again. And you never apologized and now he's doing it again. Yeah. All right, let's, let's take a break and we can get back to just recapping some of the other things that we might we might think are happening as far as the rest of the investigation. Cool. Okay, we'll be back. All right, let's finish up with just the other loose ends from the case, other characters. We already talked about two theories, but they don't necessarily resolve the outcome. So we talked about, well, actually, we really just talked about the one, which is that Roland is maybe being played by Wayne. Yeah. So just final words on that is, I have no idea what the outcome of that would be, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is kind of a half theory about what might be going on, but I don't have any idea what he's looking for. If Wayne thinks Roland's hiding something, do you guys have any ideas about what he might be hiding? Like, specifically, like, what his role might have been, what he might have withheld from Wayne, any way in which he might have manipulated him in the past. I don't really have a lot of ideas about this because I didn't think it was, like, something legitimate or even close to it until we watched this last episode. Yeah, and there's nothing in the show that that's indicated that he's a uh, like he's got a motive. Mm. But he is the recipient of good fortune, so there's that maybe there could be Who's some he? kind of uh, Roland. Um, it is possible that Kent promised him something. I, I just don't. I'm not going to say anything more on that because I don't think there's anything interesting that I can mm. think of. Yeah, although you did make that point that something happened to him between '90 and. It's probably got to do with Mr. Harris James. Yeah, it might be. Okay, what do you guys think? Do either of you, both of you, still think that Wayne and or Roland killed him? 
Yeah, I think yeah, uh, Wayne Wayne put the shotgun in. I'm still in the boat that uh, he kills him. Okay. Now, I did do some scrubbing on last episode, and I compared the headshot photo of Mr. Harris James to the uh, hallucination of the guy. Similarities are pretty superficial. They're two guys. They're each wearing a suit in the headshot, and then also when he's, they're obviously speaking to him at Hoyt. The hair part is on the same side, so it's on the left side. If, it's, if you're the person parting your hair, he's parting it from uh, left to right. But his hair, even in the shadows, the hallucination is considerably darker, and Harris James has a much bigger forehead, more of a receding hairline. Maybe it's a double. But also, he's wearing a different. Um, he's wearing a different tie. Yeah, hundred percent. He's wearing a dark tie with dots. Speaking in of different time. ties, um, remember the scene. I'm going to go for two seconds. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go. Uh, remember the scene where um, Wayne's putting on his tie. Yes. And Amelia helps her helps him. Yeah. yeah. That tie's different from when uh, in the next scene where they're ransacking. The <laughs> yeah. <times. laughs> That's true. I, I noticed that so, it, that yeah, it was... Yeah, good job on, on the cigarette, not a good job on... Something's got to give. I yeah. also noticed that, too, because they cut back. Once she gets it through, and then she stops and lets him put it together, I'm looking at that going, that is a, that is a crappy high school tie knot. And then once they cut back to Wayne and his tie is fully... I'm like, that is not the knot that she tied. That's not even the same tie. What do you mean, what do you mean it's not the same no, tie? No, so the tie that she's tying is like red and black and, and white. And then next scene when they're at the, at Tom's place, it's blue. They're at Tom's place first, right? Because oh. he comes, he, he comes he, back he, and says, "I'm like I had to change." I had to change had... because probably they were interrogating Tom too hard, and so he probably sweat too much. I don't know. But then he just had to change out of that. And then that same day, they remember Kent. I'm going to give you a warrant. You're going to go go to his place. And or do you think it's intentional that they're telling you this is proof that they're telling you the story? Of these different timelines, Westworld style, where no, they're not no, 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 coherently no. in the same direction. It's not that kind of show. You don't think so? No. Okay. I I find that though adorable. Like if 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 my lady comes up to me and I'm, I, I know how to tie a knot, but like if somebody were to come up to me and do that, I'd be like, oh, this is so cool. It's like it's like this has never happened to me before. No, it's, it's happened to me before. It's a really romantic. Moment. Oh, then shut up. <laughs> it's just it's just I like it. I like it when 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 my lady does my my tie knot. Oh, we get it. Next Jeez. topic, please. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Shit. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> haters. Okay. The people in the brown car. We get no confirmation about who they are. They don't show up. Yeah. But we all suppose that it's the Hoyt daughter and. A driver? Yeah, the Hoyt yeah, daughter. And, and, and somebody we haven't talked about is milky-eyed guy. That is not Sam yeah. Whitehead. <laughs> right, that's not Sam. Yeah, and also, what did we think was going on with that scene where the, the milky-eyed... Um, He's also on the hunt for Julie. Black eye. Yeah, he I think was, so too, yeah. It's a little weird to just come up to like a book reading. It's like, give me the answers. Yeah, okay. So here's this just occurred to me. Tin foil hat time, okay. okay? Like, this is not a thing. I don't know thing. But one thing that would be really dope is if that guy turns out to be uh, another LARP, the Milky Ad guy is another LARP, and both Wayne and him know each other. <laughs> that is a real stretch. That would be so cool. It's not It's not a... It's also, he's so him. much older. He could be older in Vietnam. Vietnam was going on for a while. <laughs> Since Jeff came, like I'm, I'm saying, it's not, it's not, it's not. Nixon. There's no evidence backing this up. I just think it'd be really cool if the the milky eyed guy 
was a dude who is on the payroll of Hoyt, but for the same reasons that Wayne is is a detective on the force. That's weird, though. I mean, he's not... It's it's 1990, and he's not dressed in any way that I think suggests that he's getting a, a nice check. You don't have to. That's maybe the point. Like, does does Wayne dress like he's getting a nice check? Well, he's not. He's getting a nice check. But he, he's he's dressing better than this guy. But at the end of the day, like, if you're hunting people down, you might be more comfortable in fatigues and or something crappy than than a suit. If you have one eye and you're getting a paycheck, it's it's fine. Remember, even even uh, Wayne alludes to. I keep saying fucking alludes. Even Wayne does this similar thing where, with the clip-on ties, like wearing a real tie, is troublesome to him. Yeah, he's not comfortable in that. Like you said, you said in the first episode, that guy doesn't look comfortable in his suit. Mm-hmm. The other guy doesn't have to be beholden to that rule. Yeah, I don't, yeah. He's not a cop. He's not a detective. But he is looking for Julie. Yeah. And he storms out with no information, so he's pissed. Yeah. Okay, so you guys think that he's actually looking for Julie, and he's not just an angry person who is close to the case and sees someone profiting off of the... Like, what, what he well, said. Why would he, why would he have any, anything in there? He's no skin in the game. He's not Sam Whitehead, and nothing has happened to Sam Whitehead. I like how he throws the book at the end, and there's a gasp in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh Is anyone going to do anything about this crazy man that's making know? noise in a place where we should be quiet? Shh, it's a library. <laughs> Shh, don't, don't say anything. It'll, you'll sound racist. Well, it is tinfoil hat time because I don't see anything that suggests that he's anything other than um, someone who just felt the, who's just angry about the whole basis for the novel. But why would you? I mean, okay, I guess like people get angry and self righteous oh, about random well. stuff on the internet. You know, so it could be the same thing, but it's just like, why, why would you even go to this thing? Like, you know, there's a book written about it. You're going to go just to hear this person talk and then immediately ask him the first question and be like, do you know something? Do you know something? Like pressing him really hard. He, he's, he's involved in some way. He's looking for Julie. That's it. I'm 90, 80% sure that he, he actually accidentally kills Will. And then he tried to cover it up. Um, we'll just leave him resting. Uh, I don't know. How would he yeah. know to he place his hands like that? No, Julie Tyler's hands. like, oh no, this is how he prays. I don't know. It's possible. I mean, it's 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 everything is still kind of possible. It doesn't seem like he's all there. Everything Although I do possible. take issue with your thing. Like, what you, he he wouldn't just come and you mean he 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 came just to angrily say that? I'm like, yeah, totally. That's something that people do all the time. On the internet, but that's because they're anonymous. I don't think that you I think you need to think about what happens in like small towns and like town and like town halls and like community. Real America. Like people get up on those mics and yell. Yeah, but I just don't I don't I don't think that he would go through the Stop lying. I just don't think that you know anything about him. So it's one thing to say that like he could because it's possible, but to suggest that you know him and that he wouldn't do that is a little like it's one like you, you you can't go. Hey, this is tinfoil. And it's crazy, but I'm gonna defend it to the death and all of your nitpicks at <laughs> you it. You you know? The no, whole yeah, point of a tin tinfoil thing is that it's actually baseless, but it's but it's just a not provable that it's not true. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be fighting this. Yeah, but um, you know, you'll have your day if it's true. You can you'll we'll give you thirty seconds. You can gloat as much as you want. You've got I my wish word. Next time we do this, uh, 
next season. They're gonna have to have a next season. It'll be in two years. That's fine. When we do we do next season, um, we gotta keep a counter on the board of like whose crazy fucking ideas. Or we just gotta find some other show that has crazy things that might happen. Did you guys actually watch Westworld season two? Yeah. I saw part of it. Ah, because that's when that's when Bo was like, yo, it's gonna that's where he gets fucking lit. I was like, I have to do a uh, belated watch of something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. All right. Um, Lucy, how involved do we think she is? Yeah, she's taking payments from Hoyt. Oh, um, right. Okay. So he says it. So we think that yeah. he's he's. You see it also in the press conference when they publicly say that they're going to pin it on Brett. Tom reaches over. He's like, "Finally, we're getting justice, right?" Like that kind of like expression. And then she just she's so disgusted. Yeah. Because she basically sees like somebody's getting the rap for something that I was involved in. I know the truth. She just yeah. finds out. Yeah, she also, um, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, I can't remember, but when she's talking to Amelia in that one scene where Amelia comes back and gives some of the kids stuff, yeah, she does say... Children should play? Well, no, she, yes, but she also says, she doesn't say the things I've done. She says the thing I've done. She uses it singular. She says thing. Yeah. So if she had said things you would naturally think, well, she means she's been a bad parent, right? She's she's stepping out on her husband. She's not home. She's drinking too much. Like, it would just be the things that she does that make her a bad parent. But she says thing, which means that she is thinking of something in particular. And when you think back on that and you consider what Dan told us in this episode, yeah, she might have been living off that payoff money in Vegas, although he suggests that she might have been murdered. What do you think about that? That it wasn't like an accidental OD. Oh, they don't renegotiate. She tried to renegotiate, and then they're like, no, we're just going to off you. Or she winds up being a loose end. So she dies in 88. And I wonder if how close 88 is to Alan Jones approaching the kids about getting on board with overturning the conviction. Mm. Hoyt and company, and whoever else, Hoyt, Harrison, whoever else is involved, may have been just keeping an eye on her. And as long as the case stayed buried, she could just do whatever. Well, the other open But the question, moment this gets a spotlight back on it, they need to tie off that loose end. The other open question now is why did Julie run away? What, you mean why did she run away from the Hoyts? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't. I think it should be obvious that she was just being held captive. She wanted to escape. But why for so long? So if, if it's either there's like a Stockholm Syndrome uh, brainwashing thing happening, and she was there and then she wanted to escape it uh, because bad things were happening there. Or she was okay, she was living all right, but then Lucy decided that she wanted to have contact with her daughter again. She wanted to renegotiate. Maybe she was sending her letters because she knows where she is. Maybe she reached out and was like, I'm here, and her daughter immediately went out, ran away, to go find her because we we are assuming that she's looking for will she might not have been looking for will i don't know if she's looking for anything i think she's once she escaped i think she's doing exactly what is suggested by the group that she's with is she was she's running she's running from her past she's running from her identity she's running from the trauma and the memory of all this crazy stuff that's happened to her that that's what you get from the kids from the runaways well, that's well. The he the, the the guy they interview says as much. It's like everyone's running from something. That's why we're doing this. That's the reason why they didn't ask questions. What's well, well, why who didn't ask questions? Of the the kids that she was rolling with. That's why they didn't ask questions. They were like, all of us have like a you know, 
troubled past. We all have ghosts. We all have skeletons. Right, but there's nothing that we know about the current Julie, the 1990 Julie, yeah, that suggests she's looking for anything. I no, and yeah, you're right. It's a bit. It's the same yeah. level of like, why would she all of a sudden leave this place and be hidden? You know, it could be also that I, this is now me just speculation. But if they did kill Lucy, in a, and to make it look like it's a heroin overdose, it might have been. And and the whole thing is like she run. She wanted to renegotiate. What was the renegotiation? What was the nature of that renegotiation? And might be it would be really nice if they tie it up to Julie running away because she had contact with her daughter. And she's like, I want to have it, and they were like, No, you can't do that. This was part of the deal. So they kill her. Julie has to come back. Well, there's a lot of questions. How long was Lucy in Las Vegas? Okay. Las Vegas is pretty far away from Arkansas, which is where this Hoyt mansion is. Yeah. If Lucy, I'm sorry, if Julie escapes around 1988, which would put her at about 16, right? She's about eight years old when she gets abducted. So. Yeah, about 16. Sounds about right. Yeah, so that's eight years later, right? That's, that's the arithmetic on that. 16 seems like the appropriate age to escape. It also seems like the age in which she'd be, she'd be able to recognize the patterns of the security and eventually she might find it out. She might find a way to to get out of there. I don't think the reason for escaping, I don't think that she needs a reason, like a purpose to escape captivity. That's the only issue that I have with this is that she needed a reason to escape other than the fact that she's being held captive. Do you know what I mean? And I think Axel was saying that Maybe part of the renegotiation is that Lucy's contacting her. Possible, but I, I just, I just don't believe that. Like that's just not part of what I think is going on. I, I don't, I don't, I think, I don't think Lucy has any idea what's going on. She's assuming that Hoyt's got her somewhere. I don't even know if she knows that she's probably been fed some lie about where she even is. It'll like if you were trying to buy someone's daughter, you think you'd tell them that. We're gonna keep her at the house, locked up in this room, and all this kind of stuff. They'd at the like, address five hundred. Yeah, that's North. in the same town. Like yeah. they'd probably fed her some kind of bullshit that she's. You know, it's like when uh, you're a kid and it's like, oh, what happened to the cat? It's like, oh, it's up on a farm. We all know what that means because we're grown ups. But the kid want, needs to, for his own mental sanity, needs to believe that that's where that's the next stage of of Dusty's life. Now that she's fifteen years old and she's getting old, right? Mm. So again, I'm not saying it's we have no idea, but. I don't think there's a lot of complexity as to why Lucy escaped. I think his bigger question is how that place was on fucking lockdown. It's a gated home and she's behind, she's in a vault that looks like a, like a bedroom. So I want to know how she got out less than I want to know why. Um, and as far as Lucy's involvement, I do think we're all in agreement that she's She's involved. Yeah. Accepting some kind of payout. I don't know if there was a renegotiation either. I, I think that maybe she just wanted more money. She just ran out of money and wanted more money. That's most That's likely. And then they were just like, "No, yeah. you got to." And then it was just easy. Like she's got it. She's in Vegas. She's got a heroin problem already. This is a pretty easy thing to stage. Yeah, for me, the question of how she got out, I'm really interested in. That's top priority. Give me that. Second is why. Okay. All I feel is the feels for Tom. He's gonna get the bad rap. He's gonna die. He's never going to know anything what happened. You think they're going to frame him? Yeah, sucks. It's tragic. I like it. When Eliza's talking to Wayne, and we, we're, I know we're running along, so there's just two more things. When she's talking about how many people have, how many fatalities there were involving the case, she does what you pointed out, Axel. She's using a lot of pronouns. She's not using names. 
And she goes, the cousin, the mother, the father, Harris James, and then everyone at, at Woodard's. Like, have you ever sat back and thought about the sheer number of fatalities surrounding this investigation? And the thing that stood out was she doesn't say Tom, she doesn't say Lucy, she doesn't say Dan. She says the mother, the cousin, and the father. Now, we know the mother's Lucy. We know Dan is the cousin. Doesn't mean he's also not the father, but then I think she's talking about Tom. And it kind of fits because, I mean, we see Harris James sneaking up on him in the room. I think he's going to get disappeared. And there's a possibility that, again, Kent, Kent is like, he's unknown, he's on the run. We were establishing a connection between him and Woodard, and now we're out looking for him, and then it may just go away. You know, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's possible. But you think Kent's the father still, or you think it might be Dan? I don't know. I don't know either. I think it could be the da- uh, Dan, the cousin. Mm. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with, uh, I'm with, Bad Ombre over here. He, 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 Tom's gonna get the rap for this, and that's probably the beginning of the end, right? Because yeah. they've been trying to get rid of this case for a while now. The question is, do you think he'll, you think he'll live? And if you think he doesn't live, like, do you think he dies of old age, or do you think he gets got? Oh yeah, I think he gets murked because there's no way you're gonna let that guy get out. Who do you think does it? Oh, Harris James. For sure. He's right there. Why not? Yeah. Just me- easily just... Or you can even make it more tragic and he dies by Roland's gun. Also, I'm thinking the Amelia being a culprit and the whole thing is not really working. That was the no. last thing I wanted to get to is whether or not we think she is somehow... This episode didn't help that cause. Yeah, this has been the thinnest one, I think, that Amelia is involved more than we know, that she's not just involved because she's interested I, I didn't see anything to indicate that here. No, but we do need some kind of good 10 minutes of her tying up her story because we don't know what happens to her. Yeah, she's lacking in this episode. Not a lot. We didn't even talk about the very brief scene. We talked about the tie, but we didn't really talk about them kind of bickering. And it just kind of was the same thing as last week. Yeah. Oh, let me guess. You're going to fix it with some booty. Yeah, it's kind of, mm. yeah, maybe. I mean, if we see that again next week, we'll just, oh, that's... She's. I'll be a little disappointed because then it means her character is a little bit under, that underwritten. <laughs> oh, but Wayne. Yeah, but uh, I would be. I would be a little disappointed if the most interesting things that her character does have already happened. Oh, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it would almost seem like a because they're waste. playing her character to be like a major plot twist in Wayne's memory lapse. Okay, we're done. Long episode, but we had a lot to get to. Um, Also, by now, all of these episodes are up for download. You can subscribe and download pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Well, I guess iTunes and Apple Podcasts are the same. Google Podcasts. Google Podcasts. uh, Pocket Casts. Stitcher. Stitcher, uh, What else? Public. Radio Public. Craigslist. Overcast. Not what Alex said. (laughs) And your reviews are much appreciated. Yes. So if you like this show, or if you don't, subscribe, download, like us. uh, Leave a review. Yeah, leave a review. Leave a five-star review. Smash that subscribe button. Yes. (laughs) Don't forget to hit the bell icon. Yeah, no. We don't have (laughs) have that yet. Maybe. Soon. Once we start animating some of the more colorful and stupid parts of our show. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, subscribe, download, rate, review, and follow us on Twitter at, at to list pod. And you can email the show at info at 
com. We will be on vacation next weekend, but we're going to record, so you might see or hear something different about the production, but we will be watching, and we will be back, so we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.